0: Good morning. How we doing? Wow. That was really bad. Like that was really bad. I know it's getting winter time and all that, but uh, let's like pump it up a little bit more than that. All right. Good morning. How we doing? That's much better. Thank you. All right. We are uh, starting a brand new series this morning in uh, Psalms 23. And what is interesting to me is looking at the life of King David, because like I think like King David was like the first Renaissance man, right? Like two thousand years before the Renaissance, right? He he was a poet, a musician, a warrior, a king, and a scholar. He was, in the words of the Bible, a man after God's own heart. And not only was he that, as we see in the stories of the Bible, but he was a man that was subject to weakness. We all can identify with King David, can't we? I mean, David had stuff just like each one of us here today. Right? We have stuff in our lives. And just like David, we want to be men and women after God's own heart. We, too, know what it means to fall to sin. And let me tell you something. David fell hard. All of us here, we've fallen hard, haven't we? And you might be thinking right now, I don't know. Like David did some pretty harsh stuff like adultery and murder. Like, maybe I haven't done those things. Can I remind you what the Bible clearly says? But but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or a man lustfully has already committed adultery with her in, in his heart. It also says you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And you're like, yeah, I'm good, but keep reading. But I tell you that anyone who was angry... Well with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment again anyone who says to a brother or a sister raka is answerable uh, to the court and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell H- How how are we doing My my point is is that we are all in need of a Savior just like David was. And like King David, we all can experience God's grace, His mercy, strength. We can have all of those things in our lives today. And of all the great things that David witnessed and accomplished in his career, it was his job as a teenager that probably most influenced the outlook of his life, right? The job of being this shepherd boy. Right? Like he took care of sheep. And then at some point he sits down and he writes this statement of faith, the Psalms 23. His purpose for his life. It may have been while he was in exile, hiding from King Saul. It may have been when he was on the battlefield or during the rebellion of his son Absalom. Or it could have been during the season of repentance after his sin with Bathsheba. But but most likely, most likely it was written when he was king as he reflected back On his life. At any rate, it becomes the most well known and most often repeated passage in the Bible. And you know how it starts, right? The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. It's a beautiful song. In fact, it's a literary masterpiece. But, but can I tell you this morning that this psalm, the words that are penned here is more than great poetry. They are words that we can actually live by, right? We can actually trust in those words. It's a simple psalm, right? We all can, can, can learn it. In fact, our kids downstairs, they just got done with it. So if you have a, a student in, in his kids, Just ask them. They probably can recite all six verses for you. That the Hebrew version contains only 55 words. Most English translations are about 120 words. Six verses of the text. And so for the next six weeks... I'll be preaching this psalm one verse at a time, which I think is a little ironic since we just finished Revelation at chapters at a time. Now we're just going to do one verse. So so let's go ahead and get started this morning. Let's read uh, together. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. Psalm 23. It goes like this. The Lord uh, is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord uh, forever. So, so today we're going to tackle verse 1, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not... One and when David says that he's his thought process, what he is thinking in his mind is all about God, right? The God of Israel, and he thought about his relationship with God, and he makes this analogy of a shepherd and his sheep. So, so God was the shepherd to David, and David was the sheep to God. And in one sense, this isn't necessarily unusual, right? There are other references and, uh, of this analogy between deity and uh, his followers in the ancient Middle Eastern cultures. In all Eastern thought, and very definitely in biblical literature, a king is a shepherd, and it's also, as you well know, very familiar throughout the Bible that the Lord is a shepherd to his people. I mean, go all the way back to the book of Genesis, chapter 48, verse 15. Then he blessed Joseph and he said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Jacob right about the at the end of his life and, and at this point in his life his faith is strong it's good and he sees his life as a series of mercies from God and he says God has been his what shepherd and then we see the idea in Isaiah 40:11 he will feed his flock like a shepherd and he will carry the lambs in his arms holding them close to his heart, and he will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. And then obviously in the New Testament, we see it in the teachings of Jesus, right? John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And John 10, 14, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. So, so the first thing that we need to realize is although... This may be a very beautiful analogy. It's not a complimentary one. Right? Sheep are, like, stupid. Right? That they are helpless. That they're defenseless. That they're completely unable to, like, look after themselves. Have you ever, like, drove through states like, nevada or wyoming and and you're out in the middle of nowhere and off in the distance you oftentimes see like a herd of wild horses and they're usually out there and they're running wild and they're 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 dirty and they're obviously not fenced in and they just like survive on their own right like wild dogs do the same thing they live on their own and they're able to what to survive And many animals can do that. But you know what you don't hear? You don't hear like, look at that flock of sheep, man. They're just surviving. (laughs) Right? You never hear that. It's because sheep by nature, they're dependent. And you know what? They need a shepherd. And it is remarkable that the Lord would call himself our shepherd. Shepherd. In Israel, as in other ancient societies, a shepherd's work was really considered the lowest of uh, of all the things that you could do, right? If a family needed a shepherd, guess who got the job? The youngest kid, right? Because we're just going to shove off the, the thing that nobody else wants to do. How many of you are like the baby of the family, right? That's me, Right? Shove off all the stuff you don't want to do onto the youngest kid, right? That's what happened. I want you to know that Jehovah God has chosen to be our shepherd. David knew that in a personal sense. He he could say, my shepherd. And it wasn't just that the Lord was a shepherd for others in a theoretical kind of sense of that. It was a real personal shepherd for David. And so we when we say the Lord is my shepherd, do you know what we're saying? We're, we're, we're saying that we're helpless and dependent. When we can't, Make it on our own. We need a savior. It's not exactly the image that we want to project, is it? Right? We we, we don't like to say that I'm this helpless little lamb. No, no. We would rather say, like, the Lord is my general and I'm his warrior. Right? The Lord is my coach and I'm the, like, starting quarterback. Right? That's the picture that we like to paint. But guess what? David, he paints a different picture. One of weakness and helplessness, dependence. The nature of a relationship is that sheep don't have to keep up with the shepherd. Right? They don't go looking for him. It's the other way around. The shepherd looks for, looks after his sheep. Ezekiel 34:11 says for thus says the Lord God Behold I I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. I want you to know that God seeks you out, right? He is looking for you. He is looking after you. And even when you're like wandering around oblivious to his presence, Even when you don't have the presence of mind to seek him for yourself, he is seeking you. (coughs) Excuse me, can I get a glass of water maybe? Jesus told a story about the kind of shepherd that he is in Luke 15, verses 3 through 6. He said, then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you uh, has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Uh, doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, Right, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Thank you. And, And guess what? It's not that strange like the sheep would be lost, by the way. Right? Like no creature strays more easily than a sheep. None is really more incapable of finding its way back to the flock than the sheep. Like it's out there, like, going, where is everybody? I'm lost. I, I, I remember riding on uh, the spoke or the Seattle to Portland bike ride thing, and I'm out in the middle of I don't know where I am. Right, and I make a wrong turn because I I follow some people that were going in a different direction. And suddenly I'm out there in the middle and I realize what? I'm like lost. I have no idea which way to go. That's sheep. And the shepherd's concern, it's for the lost sheep. The ones that aren't lost is not his immediate concern. When he finds the sheep, the shepherd, this is kind of cool. He is happy, not angry. Right? Notice the word rejoicing. When Jesus carries us, he doesn't, he does it with rejoicing, not with a grudge, but gladly. Like, you ever lost your kids, and when you find them, you're like, I mean, you're glad, but you're also like, what's up, dude? Like, why are you wandering off? Right? When Jesus finds us, he carries us, also Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And the rabbis back then, they believed that God would receive a sinner who came to him in the right way. But the parable of the shepherd and the sheep, Jesus teaches that God actively seeks us out, right? He seeks out the lost. And he doesn't grudgingly receive the loss. No, instead, he searches after them. It's a completely, like, foreign, alien thought to, to the audience that's listening to, to Jesus at this point of these religious leaders, right? They believe, these guys, they believe that they were more righteous than, than, than other people because they had diligently sought after God. They were like, you know, we sought after, you guys didn't, we're better than you, ha, ha, ha. Right? I, I think his listeners understood the story, because in those days, many flocks belonged to the community, not just individuals. And so more than one shepherd looked after them, and at the end of the day, those who, who flocks were safe and they were returned to the pen, After a a day of being out in the field, when when there was news that one shepherd was out looking for a lost sheep, those in the village, they would be on watch. They would be looking out for a sign of the returning shepherd. And when the lost sheep was resting safely in his arms, and then they would celebrate the the, the fact that the sheep had been found and returned uh, to the flock. And then Jesus says this in in, in Luke 15, verse 7. He says, I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And that's how much God cares for the lost. And, And I realize there's probably some of you here today, you're like, I don't think he's watching out for me. Right? I don't see it. I don't feel it. Have you ever said that? I have. You know what? That's just like a sheep to think that. Right? Especially wandering sheep. Out in the wild, facing the elements, in danger of attack, thinking, look at this mess that I'm in and where is that so-called shepherd now? Right? I'll tell you what he's looking for you. If you've wandered off, he's looking for you. Made mistakes, he's looking for you. Feel alone, looking for you. Lost your way, he is looking for you. Just listen for the sound of his voice. See, see in the sheep-shepherd relationship, the shepherd is the one in control. Right? He takes... The lead. He assumes the responsibility for the safety of the flock. And because of that, sheep don't worry about the day to day stresses of life. Well, like if you could sit down and actually talk uh, and have a conversation with a sheep, right? He or she would never say, I'm worried about the future. Because you know, there's only so much grass in the world, and sooner or later we're going to like run out of grass. Or, by the way, I'm not sure how long we can count on this still water thing. We need to gather all of us sheep together and get organized, right? We need to do some long-term planning, right? We need to look out for ourselves. Sheep, don't say that. Because they know they're under the care of the shepherd. And the shepherd will give them what they need. That's why David is able to say, what? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's talking about contentment. And contentment doesn't come naturally to us, right? It's our natural human tendency to, to look to the next thing, to remain dissatisfied, even when life isn't all that bad. We go after whatever we think is going to make us content, and then we find it, and then we figure out why. Wasn't all that great after all. Right? A lot of flaws in that. That's why Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true a happiness. Our fallen tendency is towards being discontent. But the sheep and the shepherd's flock have the luxury of experiencing what? True contentment. That, that was a really long intro to get us to this point. And that is what I'd like to do this morning in the, in the three minutes that we have left. Is to talk about how we can have a, a sheep-like approach in, in our contentment. Uh, I want to suggest to you this morning three simple ways to develop a I shall not want kind of lifestyle. So, so after we look at these three things, I'm going to give you some homework. Okay? I'm just telling you that up front. Alright, Go ahead and take your note sheets out of your program. You can follow along with me this morning as we uh, go through uh, these three things. How to have an I shall not want uh, kind of lifestyle. Number one, look at what you have, not at uh, what you don't have. Right? It's the first part of uh, the verse. The Lord is my shepherd. And when some people look at their lives, they only see what's not there. Right? Like, I don't have a great relationship with my Wife or my husband, or I don't have a degree, or I don't own a home, or I don't have the job that I want, or a job, or any job for that matter. All they see is what's not in their life. And then when they do see what they have, they don't see it for what it is, right? It's not the right house, or it's not the right job, or, or whatever. Worship leader Rita Springer said this You won't know. That God is all you need until you endure a season in which God is all you have. Apparently, she took it from Tim Keller, as Barry just read that quote from Tim Qu- that Well, We'll just see which one came up with that first. I don't know. Nonetheless, it's true, isn't it? The secret of being content is knowing that you already have all you need. And we have that in Christ Jesus. And he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And we're content in him. We see the value of every little thing in our lives. Every blessing, every material comfort, every friendship, every opportunity. The secret of being content is wanting Christ first in our lives. Wanting him most in our lives. And so the encouragement here is to focus on what we have and not on what we don't have. Enjoy the things for what they are, and instead of seeing them for what they're not, and we can develop that kind of habit, it'll take us a long way in the direction of contentment. The second thing this morning that will help us live a I shall not want lifestyle. Number two is measure your life in terms of blessings and not possessions. Right, It's the second part. I shall not want. Max Lucado tells a story about a man in the midst of a financial collapse in his life. And he went to his pastor for counseling. He, here's how the conversation went. Uh, the, the man said this. He, he went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, I have lost everything. Pastor, I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your faith. Man, no, no, I still my faith. Pastor, Then I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your character. No, 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 I never said that. I have my character, Pastor. I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your salvation. The man said, no, that's not what I said. I didn't lose my salvation, Pastor. So you have your faith, your character, and your salvation. It seems to me that you haven't lost anything that really matters. And so sometimes we put so much emphasis on the other stuff Instead of understanding our intangible blessings that we do have. That's why Jesus said in Luke 12, 15. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For if one's life does not, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And the idea here is that we're all under attack from covetousness. And we need to protect ourselves from that. We need to guard ourselves from it, not just be aware of it. We are to be kept from greed. And there's one overall principle that we must understand. One's life does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses, right? So anything other than that is to live in, in, with a covetousness attitude, which is idolatry according to Colossians 3.5. So so I want to encourage you this morning to to look for the intangible things in your life, the the joy of listening to to good music, the the joy of reading a good book or learning a new skill, the things that we can't necessarily uh, assign a a dollar amount to, but there are things that add meaning to our, our day. Anybody remember the old hymn, Count Your Blessings, right? Count your blessings, name them, one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. It's a good habit to get into. Here's the lesson that it teaches. We have in God, or what we have in God far surpasses anything that that we have in this world. There's a third thing that will help us live an I shall not want lifestyle. Number three is, uh, what you really need will come to you when you really need it. Same part of uh, verse one, the last part, I shall not want. Uh, Do you know what I've learned about that uh, along the way? I I don't always get as much as I want, but I always get what I need. Right? I don't know about you, but there have been times when, when like I've almost demanded stuff from God, like like things related to health or finance or my ministry or or family things. And, And at the time, I thought I knew the the difference between what I wanted and what I needed. Guess what happened? My prayers were not answered in the way that I thought. Right? But in the aftermath of those missed expectations, I was able to see what the hand of God taking care of me, providing for what was best for me. Rather than what I felt that, that that I wanted, and what a privilege it is to be able to bring all of our cares before God, to to make everything a, a matter of prayer, to to ask for anything and everything, and having the comfort of knowing that God He'll filter it. Like when I ask for stuff, and God's like, "Yeah, right, bro, yeah, that's not happening." Right? Then, then guess what? He gives us what's best for us. It's an awesome thing about having a shepherd. Well, we don't have to stress the daily details of life because God is looking out for us. And what you and I need will come at the time that we need it. And you might be thinking, does that like absolve me then from getting things done? My-? Nope. Right There's a difference between being shepherd-led and being spoon-fed. Saying the Lord is my shepherd doesn't mean that we live the rest of our lives in a high chair. But it does mean that we live day to day with a confidence knowing that God is watching out for us. That that he's providing for us. And giving us what we need. Not, Not what we want, right? What we need. There's a difference. All right, I promised you homework, so homework here it comes. All right? It's simple; won't take more than a couple of minutes a day. Uh, but the good part is, is that it will it will help the message of Psalms 23 verse one soak into your daily life, uh, hopefully at a very deep, deep level. Uh, so, so take out your phone, get your little to do app, whatever. Take out your pen and pencil. However you do it. And write these down. Number one, memorize uh, verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even I can pull that off. All right? Just every day this week, just say that. Number two, say thanks for your things. So, so each day, write down three material things that you're thankful for as they exist right now. Could be things like, like my car gets me to work. Right? Which is a great prayer because have you ever tried to get to work when your car is not like broken down? Number three, count your blessings. Right? For the next seven days, write down three intangible things that you're thankful for. Three blessings that God has placed into your life. Right? I'm thankful for a sunny day because we may not see one for a while. Number four, start a prayer list. Make a list of things that you need. And and as you think of them, just make them a matter of prayer. And and as you do that, add to your prayer something like, God, I'm not worried about this, but I'm just giving it to you. And and then pray this. If I really need this, and this is the best thing for me, then, then I know you will provide it. Why? Because the Lord is our shepherd. And there is no need for any of us to live life in anything less than the fullness of his peace. Because he is a good shepherd. And I want you to know this morning, he is looking out for you. Would you pray with me today? Father God, thank you for uh, your word. Lord, my prayer this morning is that we would, as a church, as a local body of believers, God, that we would put into practice verse 1, that we would clearly understand that you are the good shepherd and we are the sheep. Father, I pray that we can rest in you, that our hope, that our confidence, that our peace that, that surpasses all understanding, God, would be in you, in you alone. God, I'm fully aware there might be somebody here today that needs that kind of peace in their life. Maybe you're here today and, and, and your life's a wreck and you're looking for peace. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. He died on a cross. For your sin. So that you can have a peace. Maybe today you just want to ask Christ to come into your heart and life. And you can do that today. Just simply ask him to come in. God, I know that I've sinned. and I have some things in my life that, that aren't good. I ask for forgiveness of those things, God. But today, right now. I ask that you would come into my heart and life and I want to follow you for the rest of my days. If you prayed that prayer, I want to assure you that Christ did just that. God, thanks for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.